0: Welcome to the Health Trip Podcast. My name is Jill Foose. I'm a functional medicine and integrative nutrition health coach. I created this podcast to bring you along as we travel down intriguing science packed roads, debunking old medical paradigms and perusing new innovative therapies and modalities with the finest functional medicine doctors, practitioners, and like-minded biohackers while living our best life. Enjoy the show. Sadly, only 23% of American adults over the age of 18 meet the CDC's guidelines on physical activity for both aerobic and muscle strengthening activity. Heart disease is still the number one killer, affecting more than 650,000 folks. 40% of American adults age 20 and over are obese. 71% of adults over 20 are overweight. Astonishing numbers that have climbed significantly during COVID-19 and stress. In addition, diabetes, hypertension, metabolic dysfunction, anxiety, and depression are at an all-time high. The two common denominators among all of these health issues are lack of exercise and lack of nutrition. The CDC recommends that adults over the age of 18 engage in 150 minutes of moderate cardio per week, plus two days per week of full-body muscle-building activities. For the elderly, the CDC adds in balance work. Personally, I think their recommendations are low on weight resistance training and put far too much emphasis on cardio. Weight resistance training is not just about building muscle and rocking a swimsuit, it's about longevity. The health benefits on building muscle are vast, including increasing your metabolism, building functional strength, improving bone density, improving insulin sensitivity, improving hormone balance, Increases proprioception or awareness of your body in space, reduces your risk of heart disease, dementia, Alzheimer's, depression, and anxiety, and improves overall confidence, body composition, and sex drive. Who wouldn't want more of all of that? And that's why I've invited Shane Adam here. Shane is an ultra runner, strength and conditioning coach, run coach, yoga instructor, and mover. He has been an ambassador with Lululemon for seven years, an instructor for Lululemon for the past three years, and has worked with some of the top studios in the Chicagoland area. He has his own online training platform via Instagram, where he offers three 50-minute hit training videos per week, focusing on both purposeful strength training and high-intensity interval training. Shane, and I are going to break down the importance of daily movement, recovery, and aging. We will also hit on nutrition, especially around workouts. We're going to talk about the different types of exercising routines out there, how to get after it during these new COVID-19 restrictions, and how to start if you're a newbie. Before we dive in, here's my medical disclaimer. By listening to this podcast, you agree not to use this podcast as medical advice or for making any lifestyle changes to treat any medical conditions in either yourself or others. Consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having. This entire disclaimer also applies to any of my guests on my podcast. Welcome, Shane. I'm so excited to have you here.
1: I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me, Jill.
0: And I know you have a lot more going on than your modest bio and you're, I know you're an ultra runner and just completed or, um, attempted to complete a race this past weekend. That's gotta be super tough. And you're an attorney and you're a dad. And, uh, I love your son coming and making, um, those weekly or, or every workout he comes on as a cameo. And honestly, as a mother of five, I, I like laugh through the workout because when, when he's, not behaving the best—that's when I laugh the hardest because I think, oh boy, th- there is so much more to go. And then when he's super cute with his little bat to Batman costumes, and I get to see his trucks, it just brings me back to when my kids were little. Mine are all gone, and you know, yeah, I'm just I'm just the mom when they need something now. <laughs> So welcome. So what brought you to this whole fitness space? I I think I've heard you talk about your upbringing in a rural, um, on a farm maybe, in Iowa?
1: Yeah, it's that's a good place to start because growing up, um, fitness wasn't really a priority because we were active so much every day by the simple fact that we were living on a farm and we had to do things. So to this day, I'll go home and my fiance, Lisa, and I will be out in the garage working out. My dad will walk by and remind me that there's a pile of wood that could be chopped. and I could be working out by doing that. So yeah, uh, I come from a very small town in rural, rural, rural Iowa, and I ended up getting into, I guess what you could call, you know, the fitness world by running. So that was kind of my introduction into everything.
0: And so tell me about your ultra running. Like when did that start and, and why? <laughs> it just sounds so miserable to me.
1: Yeah, it's, it's the opposite of miserable, to be honest with you. But it, there just came a point in time where I got tired of running marathons and specifically running road races. And I wanted to get off of the pavement and off of the concrete and onto trails. And the best way to get into trails is just to do ultra running um people use it for meditation people use it for release but it's a whole different dynamic so if you think of running as a 5k or a marathon I-, I would challenge you to try uh to step it up to an ultra just the world the ultra world is so much more different than a marathon and, and what i mean by that is in a marathon everyone is competing for the clock and they're competing for places Um, They're going to throw elbows. If you fall down, they're going to run right by you. Usually it's completely different in the ultra world. Everyone is there to help one another. I mean, if you sign up for a 50 mile or 100 mile run at the start line, there's just a complete overall feeling of respect for everyone who's even there to attempt that, that no one's out there to get one another or try and beat someone at the finish line.
0: How do you even accomplish training for something like that in the city of Chicago where we live?
1: So the only thing that's hard about this city is there's no elevation. Hmm. So, I mean, you can run all you want on flat surfaces, but for elevation training, luckily we have a treadmill in the house. So I can always turn to that. Or the only other thing that helps is strength training to build up the muscles in the legs. So if you don't have the elevation in the hills to go run, you need to supplement with a little more strength training for the lower body. Do you continue to run
0: through the Chicago winters?
1: Yeah, I get asked that all the time. Oh my God, cray cray. No, we love running outside.
0: But you have to wear special shoes that grip, like what if you get on ice?
1: (laughs) You do, Um, I, I very rarely wear those. So when you see ice and you run on ice, you just run on the balls of your feet and you just shorten your stride and you typically will be fine.
0: Oh, see, when you're a mid-50-year-old woman, you do not want to fall. You do not want to, like, do anything to hurt yourself that could, you know, hinder your the, the week to come, right? Yeah, I get that. Yeah, yeah. So good for you. Um, all right, so I want to talk about body composition and why it's so important to one's overall health. And I tend to think that if people really understood the science on why they wanna explore new healthy lifestyle behaviors, like getting back into exercising or starting for the first time in their life, their internal motivation will increase. What are your thoughts on body composition as it relates relates to health and aging and fitness?
1: I, I think primarily when I think of body composition, Jill, the one thing that I am maybe most concerned about is the fat-free mass that you have in your body. So the fat-free mass would be the muscle, the bone, and the water. Um, Body composition, as you know, and for your listeners, it measures the percentage of fat compared to that fat-free mass. And of those items, there's only two that you can control. You can control your muscle and your fat. So when I think body composition, those are the two things that I primarily Think of. And I mean, for me, it's about, and I stress this, you hear me stress this all the time. As you age, and even from a younger age, we want long lean muscles. Right. Like that's what you're going for. I say this in class all the time: like, none of us have to be on stage in three days with a pump. So you want long, lean, healthy muscles so that you can continue to move. So yeah, that's kind of how I think of body composition.
0: Yeah, and a great way for people to start out on this journey, whether it's, you know, a health journey and um, incorporating more fitness routines is I always suggest this to my clients go get an in body scan or a DEXA scan or DEXA fit scan because that's gonna measure all of this information in your body and then go back like eight to 12 months later and see if what you're doing has actually changed those numbers. Those numbers mean a lot. They mean a lot in terms of your longevity, especially during COVID right now. We know that carrying around a lot of body fat and no muscle is, is a death trap. It's just a death sentence, you know? And we know that people who lose that body fat, use that body fat as a source of fuel or energy that, um, and keep their muscles lean, that they are going to, if God forbid, they got COVID-19 or Something else, they're probably going to be a lot better off than if they weren't built that way and weren't working out and and eating healthy. So get a baseline um, if this is um, a journey you're starting on and do all the hard work and then go back and see what happened. Um, But muscle is our longevity organ. And the other thing I want to talk about is sarcopenia, which is something that a lot of people have never heard of. And it's a disease of the elderly, which is why I love your workouts because I feel like. Um, and we're going to talk a lot about HIT training in a minute, but sarcopenia is basically when you, when you see elderly people and you see how frail they are, if they're wheelchair bound or they're using, um, you know, a cane or a walker and you see how frail they are. And we've all seen this with family members. You know, that is um, the reason that is so unhealthy and so dangerous is because you can fall, you lose your sense of independence, um, you increase your chance of dying um, due to all-cause mortality, which is basically getting sick in any way. So what do they say? You can break, fall and break a hip and die of like pneumonia, right? You don't even enter into the hospital with what you're going to die of. And so- um, I really want everyone to keep this in mind because we're all aging. Whether wherever you're starting today, we're still aging, and sarcopenia is a very, very serious um, disease. So let's talk about HIT training. So I was um, talking to Shane about this um, before we hopped on um, to record this, but. I was very intimidated by HIT training. I've been in the weight room since I was 16. I've always been extremely athletic and in shape, but not so much on cardio. And so my boyfriend who introduced me to shame, has been doing it for many, many years and started talking to me about HIT training. And I was like, no way, it took me six months to wrap my head around this. Finally took it and you kicked my ass. My So I wanna talk about um, what, Hit training is for all the listeners who don't even know what it stands for and maybe what it was traditionally and why yours are different.
1: Yeah. So HIT simply stands for high intensity interval training. Um, and I guess to put a very basic definition to that is picture something where you have very small and short bursts of maximum effort followed by a recovery time. Um, what a lot of people don't know about high intensity interval training is the interval that they're referring to is actually your rest time, not your work time. So, high intensity interval training, if I tell you we're, we're on for 10, 20, the interval is the 20. So, if you're only doing something for 10 seconds and you get a 20 second break, that's the interval that's referred to. But, yeah, from a very basic, basic standpoint, think short bursts of maximum effort, followed by some sort of recovery.
0: So in your classes, you teach three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and each class is a little bit different. And are your classes of those three days, are any of those traditional hit? Because when I think of hit training, before I took your class, I didn't think that you would incorporate weights or body weight, I thought it was just a lot of like sprinting in different ways, which is why I was so intimidated by it. Yeah. But yours is very different. So are you following the traditional pattern of hit training or have you inserted your own, your own um, version of it?
1: I think Fridays are definitely uh, my own version of it. Wednesday, as you know, is all Tabata's. And that is extremely traditional HIT training. So if you're unfamiliar with Tabata sequences, it's 20 seconds on followed by a 10 second recovery. And you do that eight times and that's one Tabata block. Um, traditionally, when you think of HIT training, the intervals tend to be longer than the maximum effort. So it's usually a one to two, one to three ratio of work to recovery. And all Tabata does is flip that. So it's a two to one ratio work to recovery. But yeah, Wednesdays, which are our Tabata days, are prototypical HIT training. Um, and to speak to your point, the high intensity interval training, I understand why you think that. And a lot of people think that they think, oh, I'm going to be sprinting and then stopping sprinting and then stopping. But you can incorporate weights to any sort of high intensity interval training uh, classes, which is what we do.
0: Yeah. So my favorite days are Monday, which are your weight days. So it's slower moving, the cardio bursts in between are short, they're usually like 30 to 60 seconds. Um, and then more lifting. So it's like four different sets of upper and lower body lifting with those bursts. Love that day. Wednesday, Tabata day, not so much. In fact, I do not even do any of those. They're <laughs> super intimidating to me. I just can't, it, they're so fast. And then Fridays, it's it's usually just body weight, but describe your Fridays because that's a completely different format. Um, Yeah. Yeah.
1: So a lot of those videos are body weight and we have recently just switched that. Um, And so what the format is on Fridays now, it's still HIIT training, but there's more of a combination of strength training there. Um, So we do 10 moves every Friday with weights now instead of body weight. And we run through those 10 moves. And then we do what's called EMOM training, which is every minute on the minute. So every minute on the minute, you're going to have a certain rep count that you need to hit. When you're done with that rep count, the remainder of that minute is your recovery time. So if you finish in 20 seconds, fantastic. You get a 40 second break. But for those that want to focus more on strength, it allows them to do that. They can grab heavier weights and they can move slower And maybe it takes them 40 seconds to finish those reps, and then they only get a 20-second recovery, but they're moving slower and they're working heavier. So you kind of get your choice there on Fridays. You can work really fast with medium weights and have a longer recovery, or you can focus more on the strength component, work slower, have a shorter amount of recovery.
0: Yeah, those are really fun days. And what I really love about hit training is that it increases my balance, my memory and my coordination. And I have the Alzheimer's gene. So, and then they also say that for every child that you give birth to, of your brain capacity goes like down the toilet. So I have, yeah, I I read that. And I don't know if that's true or not actually, but I have five kids. So that's 25% of my brain. (laughs) It's a large component. And there are days where I just feel like I cannot, you know, stay focused and, you know, I, I try to do all the things, but your hit classes really make me stay very focused, dial into that sense of balance, which, um, you know, I'm battling an L4, L5, which so many people out there have a bulging disc or, or a bad knee or a bad hip. And this really has helped strengthen me in terms of balance. And I love the whole coordination piece. And, and, and the memory is just amazing because I don't remember a lot of things. Yeah. So, I have to always say, okay, wait, what are we doing again? All right, that's what we're doing again. So, just besides building muscle and getting your heart rate up, there's all these extra things that come along for the ride that are really beneficial to our overall health.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because when we do body weight and, you know, the training switches every 4 months, so we might go back to body weight, but as a runner, something that I am particularly um keen to is my ankles and balance and stability. So you mentioned proprioception earlier. Um, Lelayton, my four-year-old son, was learning about the senses in school. And proprioception is actually called our sixth sense now. So I taught him that word and I kept trying to get him to learn the definition. And he, so he's close. He just says, it's our body in outer space. I'm like, yeah, that's that's good enough. But right, right, for sure, those body weight days, I do a lot of emphasis on- stability and core control and balance, because like you've mentioned already, as you age, those are the first things to go. As you age, our balance is the first thing to go. I, if you've ever witnessed an older person just falling for no reason, not tripping, not misstepping, simply falling just because your balance and your proprioceptions are proprioception are two of the first things that diminish as we age. So you can absolutely counter that by working on your balance and understanding your body's awareness in space.
0: Exactly. For listeners out there today that really don't do any weight training or HIIT training, and maybe they're not even doing enough cardio, maybe they're just walkers right now. They don't wanna go to a gym, you know, because of COVID, they don't have access to a lot of things, but now they're thinking, all right, I got to do something. I got to get my butt off the couch and I got to start moving. If you had to choose, what do you think is more important, cardio or weight resistant training and why?
1: You asked me that now, 10 years ago, I would have said cardio, but it's absolutely Uh, strength training, weight resistance training. And there's a number of reasons for that. You touched on one of them, but we all suffer from age-associated muscle degeneration. And I read something the other day, and I know Dr. Fowler on your previous podcast talked about this, but after middle age, however you want to define that, adults lose 3% of their muscle strength every year and 1% of their muscle mass. And one way to counter that is with strength training. Um, And strength training has other benefits such as bone density, like we want our bones to be healthy, we want our bones to be strong, and we want our muscles to support the ligaments that help support the bones.
0: Exactly. And I can tell you, as um, a woman going through menopause, it only gets harder to build muscle. And it takes me a lot more um, energy, and I have to lift a lot heavier weights to maintain my muscle mass and, and make more muscle. And it's really, really hard. And a lot of women, um, a lot of women fear using weights. I'm sure you hear this all the time in your classes, but women don't want to get too bulky. And I always say to them, it's impossible unless you're going to take steroids and be a bodybuilder. You're not, it's, an, it, it cannot happen to you right? And, and you also have to eat a ton of protein, which we're going to talk about food later, yeah, but,
1: yeah.
0: but what are your thoughts on women, weights, and muscles?
1: <laughs> Am I allowed to swear on this podcast? You child? can
0: swear. Yes. Yeah,
1: that's complete bullshit. Um, I, I, I hear that from females all the time and it's such, oh man, it's such a misconception. I mean, you touched on it. The first thing, just from a biological level, Men have testosterone, so our hormones are different. And women see men in the gym bulking up and getting big because they're lifting heavy weights and they think that's what's going to happen. It is absolutely not going to happen to women. And to your point, its I would argue that it's more important for women to strength train because as you age, it's harder for females to pack on muscle than it is for males. So someone like you, Jill, who is extremely fit, like you said, it's hard for you to build more muscle, but you can probably maintain the levels you're at by simply keeping a very nice baseline of strength training. So for the person that you talked about, the, the good thing about the person you talked about who's on their couch and they decide to get going is, and I'm sure you would back me up on this, Just do something and you will start to see benefits immediately.
0: Yes. Something is better than nothing. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So really funny personal story. When I started dating my boyfriend, who Shane knows well, um, he was used to dating what I call skinny fat women, (laughs) like really, really skinny petite women. And I always joke with him and say, I'm the largest woman you've ever dated. And we live together now, right? So it's all good, but I'm the largest woman and I'm not large, (laughs) but you know what? Muscles are sexy. On men and women, they fill out your clothing better. You look better naked. I mean, that's not why I'm doing it, but it's definitely an awesome benefit. Um, and whoever says that going through menopause you can't build muscle and look your best and feel your best and be, you know, you know, still have sexual vibes—that's bullshit to me. Like you can absolutely get it, and you don't have to. You don't have to have been like me and started at 16. You can start today.
1: So, yeah, muscles, just the, yeah. you're right. Muscles are sexy. And even more importantly, muscles are healthy. Yes. So, to come back to the question that you asked me and posed to me, if your female listeners take anything from this podcast at all, it's that you will not bulk up by grabbing heavy weights and lifting heavy weights. What will happen is you will start to see a difference in the shape of your muscle. And the tone of your muscle and you will start to have very nice long lean muscles
0: yes and by the way building muscle and having that muscle mass on your body for men increases their testosterone naturally so if you're a stressed out guy in the corporate world or you know just not happy with the way you look and feel getting in the gym and building muscle is going to guarantee that your testosterone is going to increase. Maybe not as quickly as if you got, you know, um, testosterone hormone therapy, but it is an absolute necessity to build muscle mass to support testosterone production. And likewise, for women, women are always wanting to lose fat, right? We always, we're always on a diet. We're always trying to figure it out. And we want to be Less weight. Muscles might weigh more than fat, but when you start building muscle as a woman, you think you're going to weigh more, but you're really not. You're going to hack into mobilizing that fat as energy because building muscle burns calories throughout the day. And you're going to, if you have cellulite on your body muscle is going to smooth out that cellulite because you're going to be mobilizing that fat to use it as a source of energy building muscle and your skin is going to look nice and smooth laying over the muscle so lots of lots of benefits Um, so for that person we're talking about sitting on the couch and feeling really intimidated and not knowing what to do they can't just jump into your hit class, can they, or can they, how can they modify your hit class?
1: Yeah, they, um, you can absolutely jump in and modify. Um, anything can be slowed down and anything can be scaled. So on Friday, when I give a rep count, um, I got some feedback from some people training with me and they were just like, Hey, I, I can't hit those rep counts and I'm getting no break. Like that's impossible. So, I always encourage people to scale back. If I give you a rep count of 10, drop to six if you need to. Um, And on Mondays, as you've already said, Mondays are very slow. I don't ask you to hit any reps. I don't care what kind of weight you grab. I always emphasize that I just want you challenging yourself and I want you moving with those weights. So anyone can jump in. If there's someone there who wants to train and they're like, there's no way I can do this, absolutely can. You modify and you just scale back and you do what you can every single time that you show up.
0: So one of the um, things for me that was most intimidating was the cardio bursts in between, which I talked about before, but how can someone modify that? I'm super competitive with others and with myself when it comes to fitness, right? I was a competitive horseback rider, so I have that competitive mind. And I did not like seeing my boyfriend doing all the cardio, but I just wasn't there yet. And it was very frustrating for me. But what what advice could you give someone who's not used to jumping up and down and doing jumping jacks and doing knee highs and football runs, which by the way, I love all those now, but I hated them in the beginning.
1: I still hate football runs. Um, That's really easy to do. One, speaking to the competitive part, we're all competitive, but for a majority of people, they're not... I think one of the benefits of online training is this the intimidation factor of being in a gym and thinking you need to compete with the person next to you or look like the girl next to you or run like the guy next to you is eliminated. It's gone. Sure. And I say that all the time when I'm training, like no one is watching you try the move. Who cares? If you fail, you're not embarrassed. No one's there. Like it's the perfect opportunity to, to try things, but for the cardio, like on the jumping jacks, you just step it out. You don't need to jump. For the high knees, you march in place. For the mm-hmm. football runs, you go as quickly as you can. I, I have There's a woman who trains with me who cannot jump. So on her squat jumps, she just squats as quickly as she possibly can. Split lunge jumps, she's just stepping back as, as quickly as she can. And eventually, I think what people need to understand is that is your base. like That is your floor, and that is where you are going to start. And if you consistently move like that, there's going to be times in which you begin to progress. And then you're doing the jumping jacks. And maybe it's a progression to where, okay, he wants 20 seconds of jumping jacks. I'm going to give him 10, and then I'm going to step it out for 10 seconds. And the other benefit is this. It's via Instagram. It's not Zoom. I can't see you. So you have to hold yourself accountable. But at the same respect, you don't need to worry about me calling you out.
0: That is very true. That's all really good advice. And, you know, I I came to you and I was already very fit and I did a lot of those things you're talking about. I didn't jump up and down. I did low impact things until I felt comfortable. And my first day doing weights with your class, I didn't even use weights for a a few sessions. I wanted to see how the format was, how comfortable I was. Um, I felt a lot of anxiety doing it in the beginning. Like, am I going to be able to coordinate and keep up. So I just dropped the weights altogether and I focused on making sure my form was intact because form is everything. Yeah. Yeah. So um, who shouldn't be doing hit classes?
1: My answer to you is everyone should be doing them. Um, so I know in some of the questions that you sent me, you asked like, can the elderly do hit classes? Can pregnant women do hit classes? So I, I actually looked this up and it says that research suggests that there is no increase in serious adverse cardiac events or musculoskeletal injuries when the elderly engage in hit type workouts. Because the beauty is this, you are working at your hard rate of perception. So it's all based on your own perception of how hard you want to work. So If you can if you can think of HIT classes as I just need to work at my hardest for a very short period of time, then I think it becomes more obvious as to why anyone can do that. If I'm doing 20 squats and you're next to me and you're doing 10 squats, but my heart rate's at 160 and your heart rate's at 160, then we're working the same. We're working just as hard just because Mm -hmm. I'm doing more reps, it doesn't matter. Um, the only thing I would say to that is the disclaimer you gave at the beginning of this podcast about not taking any sort of medical advice, um, mm-hmm. I want to second that times about a thousand with me. So obviously, if you're pregnant, talk to your doctor, avoid any sort of twisting and things of that nature if you're far along. But I, we have a kid, my fiance was doing hit classes the day before she gave birth. Modifying as necessary, I think it's all about anyone who has that fear or has that mental block. They need to understand that I can modify anything. I can absolutely modify anything. I can modify a burpee for you and break it down to a squat into a step back plank, and then just simply standing up on your own feet. That's a burpee. You can skip the push up you can skip the jump. you're still doing it.
0: yeah, I modify my burpees with. I, I hate burpees, but I do modify them because I want to get over the hate. I want to connect with them a little more. Yeah, <laughs> They are, they just, they're evil. I have they a lot of affair
1: with burpees, as you yeah. know.
0: Yeah, yeah. What about kids? When can kids start doing weight-resistant training and hit classes?
1: You know, I'm going to go back to what Dr. Fowler said. Um, I was listening to your podcast with Dr. Yeah. Fowler when he said, he wishes kids were doing strength training at a very young age um and they can i there became this fear i think when powerlifting became really really big and popular i remember this i remember being a kid and it was like don't lift weights as a kid don't do anything like that as a kid but kids play soccer <laughs> kids go rock climbing like rock climbing is a form of resistance training and strength yeah. training that's all it is They're just having fun with it. Uh, Yeah, kids, as long as your kid can move and be aware of his body and how to move properly with good form, I I say go for it.
0: Yeah, um, my five kids, we've had them moving and playing sports since they were like three. Yeah. Like if, if you if you were you know big enough to put on a pair of hockey skates, you were on the ice. We didn't care. <laughs> you're two, three. You can cry all you want, but you're still getting out there and moving. Yeah. 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 Um, what are the best complementary exercises to do in between hits? So, let me back up a second. Your hit classes go three times a week. Is that optimal? Is that like the the rule of hit classes and training?
1: I don't, I don't think there's a rule. I think I, I'm, this is my view on any sort of workouts. And I always have people ask me, how often should I work out? How often should I run? Can I run every day? And my answer is always the same. If you feel good and you're not getting injured, work out as much as you want. But if you start to feel like an overuse injury, especially when it comes to running, some people will jump in and they're like, I want to do it five times a day. I tell them like, that's great. But if you're upping your mileage that much, you are going to start to feel things in your body that you're not used to in your hips, in your knees, in your ankles. And if you get an overuse injury, then you're going to need to scale it back. But on the high intensity interval training, I wouldn't say go do it five days a week. I think that would be really foolish. And I think anyone who says that they should be doing that probably doesn't understand how much the body needs, um, how important recovery is for the body. So I think you can definitely do HIIT training three days a week. With, with me, as you said, Monday is not a hit day. So we do it Wednesdays and Fridays. And Mondays- Oh, so you don't, you don't
0: consider that Monday weight day to be a traditional hit class?
1: No, I consider that to be just your pure strength class.
0: That's interesting, but I do love that format with the little bursts of uh, cardio in the middle.
1: Yeah. Monday happens to be a lot of people's favorite, believe it or not.
0: Yeah. No, I would believe it. Yeah. Um, all right. So back to, so that's three days a week. So what do you suggest doing in between? What are some good ideas for people?
1: Really? Balance anything that, out? Yeah. A- anything that feels good for your body. Um, so for me, you know, we've talked about it. I'm a runner, so I'll run I'll run every day. But if that's not you, then you need to find something that allows you to move. And if you're worried about those injuries or the impact that hit is having on you, something low impact like jumping on a bike or yoga is great. If you can get to a gym and you can do a yoga class, if you have a membership with a gym that has a pool and you want absolutely no impact on your body, then swimming, but I think based on what most people have access to, I would say running, biking, or any sort of yoga.
0: Those are all really good suggestions. I tend to throw in one to two more days of heavy weight training without any cardio. And then I sometimes add in like two Peloton days. And so let's talk about recovery because- I love exercising. I have to do it every day and it is, I have to force myself to take a recovery day. Yeah. And sometimes I go months without a recovery day, which is not good, right? But it's how I release my stress and I just find that Zen for myself. I I love the sweat and I love the moving. So what are your thoughts on recovery?
1: Uh, My thoughts are, if you go vegan, you don't need to worry about recovering, (laughs) (laughs) I'm kidding. We can talk about that later. Um, Here are my thoughts. Everyone says to take a recovery day. But I think it depends on how you define that recovery day. So for me, if I'm feeling it, here's, here's the point I'm trying to make. A recovery day does not mean do nothing. That is not what recovery means. So for someone like you, Jill, who strength trains and does my workouts three days a week, If you said, hey, I need a recovery day, my answer to you would be like, jump on your Peloton for 30 minutes to 45 minutes. You are working out, you are sweating, but that is a recovery day for you. And I'll do the same thing. My recovery day might be a two-hour run at a very slow pace or a 45-minute Peloton bike ride, Um, a yoga class. If, If you're like, I'm not lifting weights today, I'm not running today go take a hot yoga class, detoxify your body, sweat, and just move. I think a lot of people think a lot of people think that recovery is analogous to sedentary and it's not. Yeah, for
0: sure. I think that's exactly right. People think I'm going to take a day off and this is also going to be, co- this is going to correlate with my cheat day. Yeah. You know, and people just like, it's usually a Sunday and they eat so much crap and they don't move and they're on their couch watching football all day. And um, so to me, that is not a recovery day. That is, that is a dangerous day.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's worse. Yeah, you're just doing so much harm to your body. Yeah. Uh, and another thing I think people need to think about when... They're talking about not even so much a recovery day about how do I recover? Well, we recover when we sleep. So are you someone who stays up watching late night talk shows until midnight? Because if you are, and I have friends like that, I can guarantee you, you're probably not as healthy as you could be. So your recovery, you wanna work out every day, work out every day. Get seven, eight, nine hours of sleep every night. And for those people who say, there's no way I can do that, I wake up too early. I spent six of the last seven years waking up almost at 4 a.m. every morning. And your body will learn if you can't get to bed by 9.30 and you can get to bed at 10, then get six hours of sleep. But don't stay up watching TV until one in the morning and then wake up at seven and complain to me that you feel sluggish and you're not recovered.
0: Absolutely. And one of the things that helps me and my clients stay on track with that is wearing this Whoop app or whatever, whatever wearable you want. But I love yeah, the, Whoop, the Whoop, Whoop app because, yeah, because it it really shows me how my sleep was. And so if I had a shitty sleep one night and I wake up in the morning and I see my numbers, I might readjust my workout that day. I might say, okay, maybe I'm not going to take Shane's, you know, Friday class and kill myself, but I'm going to do something a little bit, you know, a couple levels down so that I can recover and get set up for the following day. So I, I'm all about the wearables and really focusing on your heart rate variability. And why are you laughing? <laughs>
1: how, how long have you been wearing that strap?
0: Oh, it's probably been eight. 10 months.
1: Okay. Let me take a guess. Here's what your whoop strap tells you every single day. You overtrain and you do not get enough rest.
0: No, I do get a lot of rest. Really? Yeah.
1: So I wore that thing when it first came out for about three years and it was like, Hey man, you overtrain and you don't recover enough. And I was at a point where I was like, well, this is all great to know, but I am not at a point in my life where I'm willing to make any changes. Like I had to get up at four 15 for my job and there wasn't going to be a day that I didn't work out. So I finally stopped wearing it. That's why I was laughing. I finally stopped wearing it. Cause I was just like, I get it every single day. It's telling me the same exact data. So,
0: right. Right. No, I, I get that. So when you wear these things, like you have to make a decision, do you yeah. want to listen to it or not? <laughs> yeah.
1: You got to be committed. You can't just wear it just to be like, oh my God, I burned this many calories today. That's great. It's giving you a lot more feedback than that. Yeah,
0: I don't actually look at it for the calories. I'm really looking at it for my heart rate variability. I'm looking at it for my recovery. And there are days where my recovery is tanked and I just, you know, I, I have nothing and I take it easy that day. Um, And then I also am looking at it from a sleep perspective because sleep is the most important component to this conversation. If you cannot get sound sleep and recover, all the magic happens. Like, you know, when you go to sleep and the trucks come out to clean all the street cleaning trucks. So that's what's happening in our body. In ourselves when we go to sleep and people don't understand that. And they take that for granted, but if you don't sleep, the trucks can't come out at night and do all the cleaning they need to do on a cellular level. And then you're really going to screw yourself as time goes on. So, yeah. yeah. So what have you learned recently in your own fitness journey that has helped you stay on track and focused on your own goals? Who are, who are you being held accountable to?
1: I mean, I'm definitely, I I hold myself accountable as much as possible. Um, And holding myself accountable means, I guess when I say that, I mean this, my son is only four years old. And I guess you could say that my fiance and I had kids at a late age. So when I think of holding myself accountable, I want to be able to move in 10 years and play with my son. I want to be able to move in 15 years and play with our children. I don't want to be the father who's on the couch and his back hurts or his knees hurt, or he's just not in shape and too overweight to do anything with his kids. That to me, that would be the biggest disservice I could ever do to my son. So, something I've learned. I think recently is we we talked about this a little bit if you if you have a base fitness level i think what i've learned is that it does it takes a lot of work to get to that base level it takes more work to maintain it because if you are starting from scratch if you come to me and you say hey man I, I do nothing, like my eyes will light up because that is like a blank canvas for an Damn artist. And I can tell you, and I'm sure you can right now, like, hey, great, give me 90 days, I will change your life. I will change your body, I will change the way you feel about yourself. Those changes in 90 days are going to happen very quickly. Mm-hmm. And then you have to absolutely work your ass off to maintain that level of fitness because it will disappear much quicker than it came. So so for me, one thing that I've really learned is that instead of saying to myself in six months, I want to look like this. My goal is to get a little bit better every single day. That's it. And if I think if you can boil it down to something that simple, be a little bit better every single day, what does that mean? If you do, if I set you on a plan to do 50 push-ups a day, every single day, after a week, do 55. It doesn't need to be huge. I think people, people mentally defeat themselves by thinking, my goals need to be astronomical. I have to dream huge. And while that is all great, you have to have a base level in order to set those goals and make sure they're realistic.
0: Absolutely. What do you say to people who tell you they don't have time to make I, in their life, to be healthy and in shape?
1: I just usually get arrested for battery and assault. <laughs> when, you know, uh, it's Lisa and I were talking about this yesterday and everybody knows it. It's the number one excuse, right? It's everyone's favorite excuse. Like I don't have time to do that. I'm not going to mention my name, but it's, it's nice. I have a really good friend who, I don't have time to do that. I'm like, really? Because you text me every other day about a new show you're watching. (laughs) There you go. So my advice to people who say they don't have the time is here's my advice. You are fucking lying to yourself. That's my advice. Get off of social media. Get off of social media. Get off of social media. Put your phone down. Don't turn the TV on And the other thing I would say is this, Jill, when people say, I don't have time, this was highlighted today. I was teaching a class at Lululemon and I brought this up because a couple of people jumped into class and they were like, hey, I only have time for 30 minutes and I need to go. And I'm like, great, that's perfect. We're gonna do five minute blocks. And it was five minute blocks of five moves and people were gassed. And I was just like, that was five minutes. You might not have an hour to set aside and work out, but I guarantee you during your day, you could do that five times. That's 25 minutes. You just worked out for 25 minutes during the day. Yeah. You do that three times a week. You just worked out for yeah. 75 minutes that week. So yeah, I don't really, people who know me very well know that I'm extremely impatient and I have no patience for people who tell me I don't have the time. You, if you commit to something, you make that time.
0: Now, as a functional medicine health coach, my approach is a little more sane, (laughs) a little softer. You know, one of the things, uh, and we're talking about it right now, knowing your why. You know, your why is making sure you're still mobile and energetic and youthful, you know, 10, 15 and 20 years from now for your son. And, you know, my my why is the same way. My why is not ending up like my father who died of um, cardiovascular disease, you know, many years ago and is missing my kids growing up. And I we have a wedding coming up with my oldest son and all these amazing things. I wanna, I wanna feel great. I wanna feel the best I can feel at every age and that encompasses fitness, nutrition, sleep, caring relationships, um, being honest with myself. It's so many things. So in the world of health coaching, we we set up things like SMART goals. And these are goals that are um, specific and, uh, and attainable and realistic for people, knowing your why, and then setting up small steps to get there. So maybe not everyone can jump off the couch today and go join Shane's um you know, 15 minute hit classes, but you can maybe go and you can join and do 10 minutes, right? And when I see people, when I used to go to the gym, which I don't anymore, obviously because of COVID, I would see people lingering for an hour. And I thought, and I would look at them and think, how long are they actually working out? Mm-hmm. And it was probably something like 17 minutes of 60 minutes. And yeah. so you don't have to do anything so long to see the benefits. You just have to be efficient and mean business when you're doing it at whatever level that is for you.
1: I I like to, I'm glad you brought up the gym because it's also a matter of how you use that time. And I, I always like to think of a lot of people that go to the gym. I compare it to an NFL football game where there was, I, I read something once and it was like, an NFL football game is this long and there is eight minutes of action, eight total minutes of action. And you go to the gym and you see that dude pump out five bench presses. And then he's sitting there on the bench, looking at his cell phone for the next six minutes before yep. he does another move. And I'm like, dude, you are just like, what are you doing with your time? Yeah.
0: yeah, yep. Wasting it. So let's talk about nutrition and how best to prepare for, um, getting on your health journey. And I know you're a vegan and I'm a carnivore. So we could not be further on further apart on the spectrum of nutrition. Um, so what are your, I want to know how you manage living as a vegan and being as fit as you are and teaching and doing all the things successfully because so many vegans do it wrong. And I coach vegans and I can tell you that, you know, there's a lot of nutrients lacking and it to be a healthy vegan takes a lot of effort, a lot of mindfulness, a lot of planning and possibly supplementation and really being on top of it day to day. What are your thoughts on, tell me how you you live your vegan life.
1: Yeah, this topic about protein and vegan and plant-based and meat eating is getting up there with religion and politics, right? It's like totally, the, yeah. the three things to avoid talking about now. Um, so how did you start that question, Jill, about fueling for- like, Yeah, I, I wanna
0: know, how are you a successful vegan, so fit, you look very healthy. I mean, I see you moving three times a week, but all, not all vegans do it right. Most do it wrong. So what are you doing right?
1: I I don't know if I'm doing it right for the masses, but for me, at least we attempt in our house, we attempt to eat as healthy as possible. And I'll, I'll rightfully admit that sometimes at night we don't, everyone has those little snack cravings and we have our We have our vegan snacks. You can be a vegan and live on junk food. There's so much unhealthy, very shitty vegan junk food. Um, We do our best to avoid that stuff. I used to really not eat candy and Lisa is a huge sweet tooth. So she brings most of the candy into the house. I do my best to avoid that, but whole grains and whole foods and just eating as balanced as we possibly can doing our best to avoid processed foods as much as possible.
0: Well, Uh, let's talk about protein because no one's building any muscle without amino acids, which are the building blocks of protein. So for me, you know, I could eat two ribeye steaks a day easily and get all the protein I need. I I usually try to get in about 120 grams of protein, which for me is about one gram of protein per pound of protein. body weight. So I weigh about 120 and I try to stick with 120 to 135 grams of protein a day. As a vegan, finding protein is a lot more difficult because you have to eat so much more to get in the same amount of grams of protein. So what do you how do you get around that?
1: So let me preface my answer by saying this. I think The obsession with protein in this country is one of the single greatest marketing schemes in the history of marketing. And and I say that by asking you this, and I've listened to numerous podcasts. And if I'm incorrect, if you can point me to something great, I've never known anyone who has ever been treated for a protein deficiency. When you go to the doctor, I've never heard of a doctor saying you need more protein. Here, here is why Well, that's it's right. That,
0: that and that's where sarcopenia comes in. And that's why we have sarcopenia in in so many elderly people, but now it also exists in younger people.
1: Yeah. I think a lot of people think that more protein is better. I tend to I tend to be on the other side of that. I think a lot of people are getting more protein than they actually need. And I'll use my mother as an example. She is not extremely active, but she'll go on a walk and then she'll ask me, hey, what protein powder should I use? And my answer is like, you shouldn't be using any protein powder. You don't need that. And she eats meat. um, But the protein you get, from being a vegan is, you know, if you want like just staples, it's like beans, black beans, pinto beans, kidney beans, almonds, lentils, brown rice, anything from the ground. And I guess the way I get into this is people are, people always ask me, because it's the first question you get asked as a vegan, like, how how do you get your protein? And my answer is uh, I get it the same exact way that the animals you eat get it because and this really clicked once when I was talking to my parents because they're they're farmers and they were extremely upset when we went vegan Um, they were a little insulted and upset and I finally said to them I was like you eat a steak because you think you need that steak for protein but as you know an animal a calf is not born full of protein that that cow gets protein from eating grass. So if you look at the strongest animals in the world, they're all plant-based. All of them. Gorillas, hippos, rhinoceros, those are plant-based.
0: Right, but so, we're not animals, we're humans.
1: Right. Right. And I understand that. And you're much you're much more knowledgeable than me on this, but a cow does not have protein for the simple fact that it's a cow. A cow has protein because of the diet that it eats. And that cow is eating a plant-based diet, whether it's corn or cornmeal or grass. So, I mean, I I could, you and I could have a six hour podcast about this. And I'll <laughs> say it again. You're, you're definitely more knowledgeable to me than uh, about this, but I, I think people consume too much protein. I think protein shakes are highly unnecessary. As far as supplementation goes, I would much rather supplement with BCAAs in my water as opposed to a protein drink. And as far as supplements that vegans need, the only ones I've ever been told that I would lack would be vitamin D and B12. That's it. So we take a B12 supplement, vitamin D. We have that in the house. I don't take it very often. I try and eat a lot of mushrooms. Mushrooms are extremely high on vitamin D. Um, So those are the only supplements I take. But I mean, the counter to, to this is what you spoke of earlier, and that's heart disease, cardiovascular disease. It's still the number one killer in the U.S., And there's a lot of research and a lot of studies that show a direct link between dairy and meat and those diseases.
0: Well, actually, there's no scientific evidence that um, an animal-based diet will lead to any cardiovascular disease. What the science is showing now, the current science is showing that it is um, the rancid seed oils and the glucose from carbohydrates that is creating cardiovascular disease. That is what is creating it, not animal-based products. And there's a new study out by Harvard, um, if people wanna look that up, or I'll put that in the show notes too, that goes into that as well. But just to back up a little bit, we absolutely need more protein and we need more animal-based protein because animal-based protein is Bioavailable for our bodies. It is in the form that our bodies need to break down into those amino acids and build muscle mass, among all the other things that protein does for our our body, our cells, our heart, our brain, everything, right? Our blood. But I'm glad to hear that you and your family supplement with B12 and, and vitamin D. I can tell you that the vitamin D you're getting from the mushrooms is in is vitamin D2, which the conversion process to D3, which is the bioavailable form for our bodies to use is very poor and very inefficient. So you should take those vitamin D3s every day, especially now in Chicago, as we're coming into the dark winter months and you're not yeah. gonna get that sunlight. So. Other nutrients that vegans can be deficient in or will be that are only found in um, animal foods, B12, creatine. Creatine, we all know people supplement with creatine when they want to build muscle mass. Carnosine, D3, DHA, EPA, those are our fatty acids that we get mostly from marine animals. Um, heme iron. So when you eat iron in, let's say, spinach um, or other foods, you're getting non-heme iron. And again, it has to convert to heme iron to be bioavailable for you. And that's a really poor and efficient conversion as well. And then taurine. So I love that you're, you mentioned BCAAs. And um, so for those of you who do not know what BCAAs are, those are branched chain amino acids and they contain Leucine, isoleucine, and valine. So three of the essential amino acids, essential meaning our body cannot make them. So we can only get them from exogenous sources. So food or whatever. So when I am coaching a vegan and they are very fit and active, I absolutely recommend taking BCAAs. It's a powdered form. You mix it in with your water. You can add in electrolytes and what other other amino acids, you probably also have heard of EAAs, which are essential amino acids, which contain BCAAs. So that's kind of all wrapped in one. But so the, why we're talking about BCAAs is because when you take BCAAs, and if, especially if you're a vegan, you are not getting that two and a half to three grams of leucine. Leucine is that magic amino acid that is responsible for stimulating protein synthesis in our body that is where the magic happens in building muscle tissue. So I'm really glad that you're at least supplementing with those because we found those in animal foods. Um, so I would agree with you on protein powders. I'm not a huge fan of them. And we've got all kinds of plant-based protein powders and all kinds of, then there's you know egg white protein powder, casein and whey. Um, whey by far is the most efficient and the best form but some people can't do whey or casein because they have a dairy intolerance so in that case I suggest using egg white protein powder to me using a vegan protein powder blend is a mistake because when you eat the peas and the beans and the rice, that comes with arsenic. It comes with plant anti-nutrients. So all of these plants want to stay alive. And if we go back to our ancestral days and we talk about plants and how they, um, how they have their seeds and animals can pick them up in their fur or the wind blows them, they want to survive. And so they created these self, these, um, defense mechanisms called anti-nutrients, which are phytates, oxalates, um, lectins. So these are things that cause a lot of gut issues, brain issues, or um, people who have an autoimmune disease should not be eating these foods. So I'm all for like people wanting to eat however they feel their best. But you've gotta know that when you choose a certain quality or a certain um, Protein powder, you have to know what comes with it. So, like you were saying, you look to a lot of beans for your protein, but beans come with a lot of lectins and they cause a lot of GI distress for people. You also have to eat so much more like five cups of beans to equal, like, you know, a small chicken breast for somebody. So, there's, if you're going to be a vegan, definitely cook your veggies. Don't eat them raw. Every time you cook them, you're going to take out at least 30 to 50% of those anti-nutrients. So that's a really good um, tip right there. And also if you're a vegan, make sure you're supplementing with the things you know you are not getting on a plant-based diet because it all matters. So, you know, here we see Shane, he's super fit. He looks great. He's healthy looking, he's vibrant. Um, and he's, he knows that because he has chosen to live a vegan lifestyle he has to do certain things to um, make up for the deficiencies that he's also facing living that life that lifestyle and that diet does that make sense
1: yeah it does did you read the plant paradox lately
0: about a year and a half two years ago maybe you? yeah
1: so The 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 only thing i would say the only thing i would say in rebuttal to that is those the lectins that you talked about, which are found in seeds and beans, the animals eat those as well, right?
0: But we're not animals. Right. And and they don't eat all of them. They've learned which ones to eat and which ones not to eat.
1: And then the only other thing I would say is, I find it interesting. So the nine amino acids, which are the amino acids that our body cannot synthesize on their own, that we need, those nine amino acids they are originally synthesized in plants. And correct me if I'm wrong, but they're only found in meat and dairy products because those animals have eaten those plants, right? Correct.
0: However, they are in a bioavailable form in animal-based foods. They are in the form that our bodies need to absorb into our cells to make it work for us. When you eat only plant-based foods, All of those nutrients are not in bioavailable forms and they have to convert to bioavailable forms. And everybody's different and everybody has roadblocks. And even as a carnivore, I know I'm eating a very bioavailable nutrient dense diet and I feel really good. However, I have roadblocks. I have a genetic mutation called the MTHFR mutation that is a roadblock to um, converting folate in my body and utilizing it among many other things. Um, when you're going through menopause, if you have an Alzheimer's gene, if you have a food intolerance or an allergy, if you have an autoimmune disease, if, if things in your GI um, digestive system aren't working properly, if you have IBS or what, there's always a roadblock. And so I think it's really important for people to find out all the information they can, blood work, um, genetic testing, and see see what you're dealing with and see what you're deficient in because there's, there there is a solve, there is a fix out there, and um, for all of those purists out there, I wonder what they are what's really going on inside of them because you've got to gather that information and see, and I promise you everybody has roadblocks.
1: yeah. We all need more fiber.
0: Well, see, on a carnivore diet, it's a zero fiber diet. (laughs) What? (laughs) And guess what? I still poop every day.
1: (laughs) You need to read uh, Fiber Fueled. I'm going to bring that book for you so you can read it.
0: I think Shane and I are going to have to do a whole nother podcast.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: (laughs) All right, Shane, we're coming to a close. I have one more question for you. Yeah. What are three lifestyle changes a person can make today to start Upgrading their fitness level and engagement.
1: Drink more water.
0: Good one. Move
1: and stop making excuses.
0: Love those. Love
1: those. And the movement can be so simple and so short, but just, just start moving. Exactly. Very uh, good somebody advice. I, somebody who I really like, look up to and admire, his name is Joe Holder. Um, he has this saying and it's make movement a movement. And I love that. Absolutely love it.
0: I love that too. Very good advice. All right, Shane, thank you so much. Um, Oh, I wanted to mention that Shane is offering a 50% off um, discount through, I'm going to put down like December 15th. So you all have, you know, two or three weeks to make a decision to try out his classes online and you do not have to be in Chicago. That is the beautiful part of um, all of these online fitness opportunities. And they're all live and then on his Instagram, if you can't make the live classes, which by the way, I never make your live classes. Yeah, you don't. It's always just Noah, it's never me. I'm still having coffee (laughs) and taking the dogs out. But um, there's on his Instagram page, there's always, there's a library of a ton of classes and they're all labeled workout one which is mondays work, workout two which is wednesdays and workout three which is friday so super easy format to follow um so you don't have to show up live so usually he charges i think 200 a month yeah so you have an opportunity to try a whole month for a hundred dollars and in the show notes i will put all of his contact information um but what's your ig um handle right
1: shane, shane fitness.
0: okay so people can look you, you won't get access to the classes until you've paid um, but I'll put all this in the notes and Shane thank you thank you thank you what a pleasure talking to you and finding out more about your background and the HIT training loving all of it
1: yeah it's awesome talking to you the one thing I would say Jill is um, any of your listeners who request to follow um, make sure they mention the podcast I get random requests and I don't want to accept somebody who.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm going um, to give S- them S- a code to use and you'll know it came from me. It'll be awesome. like J- JF Wellness and you'll know it came from me. And then you guys will, um, I'll, I'll put all of the directions in the notes.
1: Perfect. All
0: right. All right. Well, have we're a gonna great have, rest.
1: We're going to have dinner with you and Noah soon. Yeah.
0: Yes, we are. But at we're going to have to at a plant
1: based restaurant. Yeah. Right we're
0: going we're, we're to have to find a steakhouse with lots of um, vegetables oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or salads. <laughs>
1: All right. Thanks y'all.
0: All All right. Have a great day. Bye everyone. Bye. Thank you for joining me. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Lifestyle changes can be hard and overwhelming to make by building your support team of functional medicine, doctors, therapists, and health coaches. You can reach your optimal health goals. Be sure to check out my other podcasts until we meet again. Stay healthy.